Good morning. God bless the gathering of his people. I'd like to draw a message uh, from this text here, surrounded by this uh, double word again, treason, treason, that we have here in uh, 2 Kings chapter 11. So nobody likes a traitor. A traitor is always scorned and never trusted. On the other hand, all of us like loyalty. Something we all aspire to, for, and desire to be. We like when loyalty is shown to us by others. And certainly loyalty is something that we owe God and something he expects from us. Possibly at times we elevate loyalty without considering to whom we're being loyal to. And this is an obvious, obvious occurrence in the text. The one who felt betrayed and thus shrieked out to the crowd, treason, treason, was actually the traitor. She had fallen far from where God wanted those in leadership to be. Our loyalty is either to God or against God. And God tells us we can't have him and have someone else in our lives in loyalty. And that should inform every other loyalty we have. Uh, it, it does take wisdom and discernment to know if our loyalties are always where they should be. And we don't always get this right. But may God help us to make good decisions and to keep him and his ways in focus as we decide where our loyalty is and should be and what it should look like. Any loyalty that hinders one's obedience to God it is, is in essence treasonous. And I, you know, we have to be careful about this. Uh, we're naturally bent towards caring a lot about what others think, sometimes more than what we care about what God thinks. And, and this can send, sometimes does send wrong messages. Treason is an ugly condition, and I'm sure God was extremely disappointed with the conditions of his people here in this, in this uh, era, in this text, especially in what he saw coming from those in leadership. So in addition to the passage that, that Brother Paul just read, we have a correlating text in 2 Chronicles chapter 22 that records the same account. Uh, 2 Chronicles, the account there has some details that uh, the first or Second Kings text does not. And so uh, if you care to follow along in your Bibles, you'll want to have a bookmark in both passages. In the first part of the morning message, we will be making some observations of this account and then follow up with a number of applications, concerns, and truths that we should be learning from the story. 
So um, I'm aware that observation and interpretation is, is, is something preachers should do before they make applications, but I, I'm one of those that has a hard time waiting for the application uh, as we make the observations even. But to begin the observation this morning, uh, we, we notice a, a list of significant people recorded here that are considerably involved in what occurred. And I'd like just to take the time to look them, look at them, uh, get a bit familiar with who they are and so that we can later reference them, uh, especially when we get the application. So let the first two we're gonna look at here is King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. Uh, as most of you are aware, the people of God had a split back in the generation, I think it was right following King Solomon. Um, you know, we, we look at Solomon's uh, reign, during his reign, he was extremely successful, prosperous, but I think immediately after him, we have the kingdom split up, and now they have two kings, each having uh, a kingdom. Uh, we have a northern kingdom, uh, and in this, in this, at this time, Ahab, or maybe just prior to that, Ahab uh, was was leading in the northern kingdom, and down, up in down in the south, uh, we have a king who was named King Jehoshaphat. He was the southern king. Um, primarily, Ahab's contemporary, or, during, or reigning during the same time Ahab was. There was some overlap with the sons too, but while Ahab was most, mostly a a uh, evil and a Baal worshiper. In contrast, Jehoshaphat down south was a godly king. And for the most part, led Judah extremely well, made good decisions, decisions that God was very pleased with and extremely blessed his people during his kingship. Um, the last week or so, I've been working my way through uh, Second Chronicles in my, in my personal Bible reading, and in chapter 17 all the way through chapter 20, uh, we have the details of, of Jehoshaphat and his life's work and the activity he was involved in as king. He did so much good for his people while he was a king. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing he was one of the better kings that Israel ever had. Uh, something that stood out to me just this week as I was reading about him in chapter 17 uh, if you want to open your Bibles there you can chapter 17 in 2nd Chronicles uh, there's a noteworthy um, activity that he led his people in again I'm not sure I ever caught this before uh, but let, let's read it here 2nd Chronicles chapter 17 verse 7 also in the third year of his reign he sent to his princes, even to Ben-Hel, and to Obadiah, and to Zechariah, and to Nethaniel, and to Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, even Shema, Nathaniel, Zebediah, Ashiel, and Shemath, and Johanathan, and Odonijah, and Tobijah, and Tobijah, Levites, and with them Elishama, and Jehoram, and priests. And here's what they did, and they taught in Judah, and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and went about through all the cities of Judah, and taught the people. 
And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah, so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. That, that teaching program that Jehoshaphat initiated has some pretty amazing results. And he had obviously had the Levites and some other prominent men go out and do missionary work at home in the surrounding cities, but I think even outside of them. And the results were that the fear of God affected the neighboring heathen countries to the point that they didn't want to do any kind of battle with these folks. I, I, I don't know what they taught them. I mean, they taught them the book of the law, obviously. But something about what happened in that teaching program said, you know what, we're not going to go to war with these folks. Our observations on Jehoshaphat shows us that there are two verses that indicate he also sowed some seeds that weren't so good. That later bore some negative fruit in the generation that followed him and his reign. The first one that is noteworthy for our study this morning is in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance. And joined affinity with Ahab. This affinity bore fruit after he died. The second passage we'll consider in relation to Jehoshaphat and, and some of the seed he sows is in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 35 to 37. And after this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Azariah, king of Israel, who did very wickedly. And he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezengaber. Then Elizer, the son of Dadava of Marsha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaz, Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works, and the ships were broken, that they were not able to go to Tarshish. This statement, this, this, this was coming at the very end of his reign, this text. Note he joined himself with Ahaziah, and this brings us then to the next king, King Ahaziah, that we see here uh, was a son of Ahab. I noticed just this morning that there was actually two kings of Ahaziah, and they was, there was a king down, up down south who was that, had that name. There was also Ahab's son who has this name. I didn't notice that till this morning, but I think I have it right. Um, but the son of Ahab, he joined affinity with him, and uh, this, this son of Ahab, Ahaziah, he was another wicked king, like father, like son, and like his mother. And I, I just, you know, I just find myself questioning, so why did Jehoshaphat do this? Why did he want to make affinity with wicked Ahab? And we saw, we see kings often do that, make affinities with heathen kings. 
why'd they do this? It's not like he needed, well. The next person we want to look at is Jehoram. He's the son of Jehoshaphat, and he takes on the kingship of the southern folks. He gets to be king because he's firstborn, and one of the first things we see him do as he takes on as he takes on the kingship is he kills off all his brothers. I think he had six brothers. But his father, Jehoshaphat, passes off the scene and he's replaced here with his son, Jehoram, as king in the south. A notable observation for our learning this morning is Jehoram's choice of wife. Second Chronicles 21, verses 5 and 6. Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife. And he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And in the last verse, of the chapter, verse 20, 30 and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. A king who departs comes to the end of his kingship and that of leading his people, dies and leaves without being desired. That Reality, that condition is reason for pause and consideration. Dad's choice to make affinity with the house of Ahab bore fruit here. In so doing, Jehoshaphat welcomes a poisonous viper into his family by exposing his son to a woman who was dedicated to doing evil. His daughter-in-law came from that wicked home of Ahab and Jezebel. And her name is Athaliah. I have some extra people on this text, on this slide, but Athaliah is the one we're looking at. So she's the very woman who comes tearing into the temple screaming, treason, treason. She is obviously living down south. Her husband had now died. And her son was king for only a year before he was killed by Jehu. We'll get to him in just a little bit. But after she took on the kingship, in order to be sure that her position was, was never seized, she eliminated any kind of resistance or threats by killing off all the royal seed, even killing everyone of her own grandchildren. Well, she missed one, but at this point she didn't know that she did so. Treason, treason. You know, the charge was not really unfounded. 
this was treason against her government, but in our minds and in the minds of those who were faithful to God in their dispensation, it was a well-founded and godly treason against a tyrannical, despotic, wicked ruler. And though, and this here, Athaliah, the most infamous queen of Judah down south there, she died at the hands of her executioners, much as did her mother Jezreel, the queen of Israel up north. You remember when Ahab had her thrown out of a window and he drove over her with his horses and the dogs licked her, ate her. So Athaliah, her husband reigned only eight years. During their marriage, they had children, and one of those was Ahaziah. He's the king in the south. And again, there's two Ahaziahs, you see that there. One up north and one down south. I guess they had the same problem some other cultures do, you know, the Johns and the Davids, I guess. They just like this name. But Ahaziah, he was next in line for the throne. Like I mentioned before, he only reigned one year. And then Jehu, who was tearing up, killing kings and killing sons of kings, were told in 2 Kings chapter 20 that he had first of all killed 70 of Ahab's sons. And then he was traveling and he met some of Ahaziah, Ahaziah's family, they were going up north to visit their cousins, to visit the queen. Well, what's it say here? Um, yeah, they said when, they, when Ahab met them, he asked them who they were. And they said, we're the brethren of Ahaziah, the king down south, and we're going up north to visit our relatives, to visit the queen and the king. And they didn't know that Jehu had just killed them off. At that point, Jehu commences to kill them, and he killed 42 more of the royal seed. So this pretty well wipes out the royal seed. Between Jehu and Athaliah's killings, there's no males left in either of the two kingdoms. Well, that's so they thought. All the royal seed is massacred in both kingdoms. Jehu must have been a, a formidable assassin. Actually, the Bible says he was one of the men that God put in place, set in power, to bring judgment on his people. We still have three more names to consider in this story. The next one, in my opinion, is the hero of them all. Um, I'm not suggesting here that I have a baby name for a future granddaughter, but uh, if you're having a daughter and you want to name it after a godly hero, maybe you want to consider Josheba. She is the daughter of King Joram. She's also the wife of, of the priest Jehoiada. She was a brother to King Ahaziah, sister-in-law to the wicked Athaliah. And apparently, this woman was still loyal to her grandfather's God. 
and understood that their big, powerful, almighty God promised that there would always be a descendant of David on the throne. And she knew that if Athaliah, if all her children are killed, then the lamp goes out. There are no more direct descendants, male descendants of David, if Athaliah gets her way. And so we see, I think we see God here, instrumental in this woman's life, her bravery in rescuing the last remaining son of Ahaziah. Now he, he's apparently about one year old here, and she hides him and his nurse in a bedroom. Later, she evidently takes him and has him hidden in a temple. For six years, while this dreadful Athaliah is reigning, I would guess this wicked queen probably had little use or appreciation for the temple of God, so it was probably a pretty safe place to have him. Jehoiada, that's her husband. He was a high priest serving God in the temple. Oh, he's obviously a brave man also. It'd be interesting to know if he was party in the decision of his wife to initiate this coup? I would guess he probably was, doesn't say. But for sure, after it was begun, he was, he was, he was all in. And he followed through. And then the last person, of course, is Joash, the boy king. He was the last of the royal seed of David. Four applications. God still uses simple, ordinary, faithful men and women to do his will, still in 2022. Josheba, she was this little, I don't know if you ever read about her before in scripture or after. At this moment of time, she had a, an important place in God's plan down through the ages. Through her courage and her ingenuity, she preserved the royal line of David through which the Messiah then came. You know, and certainly God could and likely would have made a, a way otherwise if, if she wouldn't have done what she did. But because she did what she could, because she availed herself to doing what was right and good, we see God pleased with what she did. And you know, evil people like Athaliah, yeah, they, they sometimes do their thing, and they sometimes look like they're going to get away with it. But God can always... God can always raise up Joshebas. And I don't know, you know, possibly, probably, 
What God is calling you and I today is not so dangerous as it was for Josheba. I'm sure she would have lost her life if the queen would have found out about it. So maybe what you and I are called to today is not as dangerous, but it might just be pretty unpopular. Maybe what you and I are doing in 2020, are called to do in 2022, won't cost us our life, but it might cost you something. Probably will cost you something. Be assured God is not shortened God's arm is not shortened in our generation, and he is still able to raise up these kind of people, even in our generation. Despite the checkered history of God, despite the, despite the checkered history of God's people, when this story took place, down through the ages, even today, I think we ought to see the church and the privilege of being part of the kingdom as a work of God in our midst, raising up these kind of people. Being a part of his bride, being a part of his kingdom, being part of that work, even with its imperfections and its, you know, its people that don't always do it as good as they should, I think we should be well encouraged and assured that his plan for the church is not going to be thwarted. It's going to happen. He will one day take his bride home to himself. You know, isn't it rather amazing that for six full years this secret wasn't, Athaliah never found out about this. I mean, that was likely God protecting them. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was. Now, you'd think that the women going to the well for water and visiting together, that somehow this would have slipped out. You know, you know what, do you know what Josheba and Jehoiada are doing in their home? I mean, the first, first sewing circle, you'd think it would have slipped out. But no. She never found out about it for the whole six years. And I'm just guessing these Jewish folks, their families, their relationships weren't that different from what ours are. And I don't know this for sure, but possibly there was a significant amount of loyal, God-fearing folks surrounding this couple in Judah at this time. Maybe they even knew about this. They probably even knew about this secret and hiding this child away. I, I'm just guessing. One of, the, one of the reasons I think this could be the case is the obvious overwhelming support that Jehoiada had when he initiated the coup. There was no one around to support the queen at that point. No one powerful or daring enough to support her and save her. I think that says something about 
the condition of the God's people. It also probably says something about their, their being weary of this tyrant queen ruling them. It appears as if Jehoiada chose to crown the new boy king at the exact hour when the most loyal people were around. Um, uh, in verses 5 and 7 of the morning text that Paul read, uh, it indicates that Jehoiada planned to initiate the coup on the Sabbath. And apparently the Sabbath was when the temple guards changed their shifts. And therefore Jehoiada could assemble two full groups of guards at the temple without attracting extra attention. Application number two, the wife one chooses is extremely consequential. Young men, the young lady you choose for your wife is extremely momentous for you. And fathers of young men, be very careful with your affinities. The woman your wife, the woman your son chooses as wife will greatly affect you and your posterity. The Bible is full of examples, both good and not so good. If we take a moment comparing the two families mentioned in this passage, on the one hand we have Jehoram and Athaliah, and the other hand we have Jehoiada and Josheba. The directions of their lives were very different. And I believe that's because the foundation of their lives were very different. And I know people, men, choose their spouses based on a lot of different things. That's probably all right. But I believe that a, a spouse's belief system is something that we really, really should be careful about. Maybe even their parents' belief system. Because it's going to have a significant effect on us as we do life. A lesson that parents can learn here is to never underestimate the influence you have on your children. Every day, our children are under our care. And we're having, every day, we're having significant influence on what they will become one day. Athaliah's parents, Ahab and Jezebel, they were idol worshipers. Baal. They were wicked, evil people. They didn't even think twice about committing murder to get their way, to take Naboth's vineyard, to stay in the top position. Athaliah's parents stood in direct opposition of godly values. And how did she turn out? just like her parents. She too was bent on worshiping Baal. When she moved up, when she moved down south to be the king's wife, 
she affected people. Third application. No follower of Christ should leave this world with an inconsequential wake. A wake is another way of saying a viewing or funeral. I know, we sometimes get frustrated with long viewing lines, masses of people coming to our funerals. Trust me this morning. The extreme opposite is far, far worse. We have two main characters in today's study that apparently left this life without being desired. Not much loss when they died. Maybe actually a relief that they actually did die. King Jehoram, the Bible says, he departed without being desired. And Queen Athaliah, as powerful as she was, I mean she was queen, there was no one higher than her in, in any kind of, yeah, any kind of power. I guess she probably had some military, but they weren't around this day. As powerful as she was, no one lifted a finger to save her life or carry out her demands when she rent her clothes and cried treason, treason. No, she was drug out to the horse gate and executed. No one came to her rescue. We can probably add a third person to our list this morning of a current king who would also today depart without being desired. Many of you are aware of the war that's going on in Ukraine. Happening right now as we're sitting here gathering. Likely most of the countries and even many citizens within Russia would view this ruler as one that if he did depart, he would do so without being desired. Number four, successful men, even devoted godly men and women, walk a very dangerous terrain. The more influence and power they have, the more careful they need to walk. And the more needful it is for men, such, men and women such as that to be accountable to a brotherhood, to do life with. Repeatedly through this study, we have witnessed the result when people have tried to take power for themselves, to remain in power. You also remember during the, the days of the judges, we have a man, Abimelech. He had killed 70 sons of Jerubal in order to take control. But God returned his wickedness upon him and he was killed when a woman threw out, um, I think it was a millstone from a tower down on his head. We have a contrasting example in King David, well before, yeah, I guess it was even after he was king, 
when he didn't exercise his power to become the next king or to execute Saul. And so I think it's important that we think about using our influence, our power, if that's what you want to call it, use your power to empower others. Help others succeed. Even exceed or excel above what you've been able to do or give. Godly leaders should be very careful about the use of power and influence. Never ever should a man or a woman assert power. Rather, we should wait on God, allow God in his own good time to bring us to positions of leadership and influence. Never ever use power and, influ and influence to crush others so that you can gain control. Jesus, when he did ministry here on earth, and we remember he, he had a lot of power, right? He used his power and influence to empower others. I believe he expects us to do the same. When one lifts himself up at the expense of others, you can be pretty sure the Lord will bring us low. Matthew 23, 12 says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that humble himself shall be exalted. So I believe in whatever relationship we find ourselves in, let's use what influence, what power, what, whatever you want to call it, to help others, to, to build others up. Jesus says when he came, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Like Athaliah, Jezebel, Jehoram, and many others down through the ages, while serving power may give you control for a while, the judgment of God eventually came upon those who crushed and destroyed others so that they could exalt themselves. We have this Jehoiada, he was the priest in the temple. We have him take this little boy, Joash, under his wings. I think he would have been an uncle by marriage. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 2, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. So as long as Jehoiada was around, this young man serve the Lord. We don't have time to go into his later life, but it is pretty disappointing, actually. But our focus here is on Jehoiada for the moment. He instructed this young man in the ways of the Lord. He was a powerful influence in this young man's life. He wasn't his father. He wasn't his grandfather. Uncle by marriage. But he adopted him into his family, protected his life, and instructed him in the way of the Lord. I think there's something here that uh, we can all learn from. I don't know that, um, well, maybe we should adopt some men into our family, young boys. Whose life are you protecting? Who are you empowering? Who are you instructing in the way of the Lord? 
I love the summary that the Bible records of Jehoiada at the end of his life. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 15 to 16. But Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. A hundred and thirty years old was he when he died, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. That, brothers and sisters, is the kind of testimony we want to leave when we go. This is very, very different than what we saw in those who departed and weren't desired. Because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. Jehoiada and Josheba lived powerful and influential lives that kept the hope of Israel alive in their generation. I believe each of us has the opportunity to do the same. May their tribe increase. May we be like them. Let's kneel for prayer.